Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the 26th episode of the Rambling Brews podcast, hosted by yours truly. The name is Tim, and this episode is coming to you a couple days early because by the time you're hearing this, I'll be en route to Deep Creek Lake, Maryland for the week, just boating, swimming, golfing, and kicking back with some ice-cold Coors Lights. I cannot wait for that. So after this, there will be no episode next week. I want to make that clear. But in the words of the 11-time WWE World Tag Team Champions, the New Day, don't you dare be sour. Just grab your headphones and feel the power. Because I've got a great show for you this week. We had two major contract buyouts in the NHL. And if you're a Minnesota Wild fan, you got to be a bit nervous about it. We'll dive into that in a moment. Also, Chicago Blackhawks legend Duncan Keith is headed to play with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is going to bring him closer to his eight-year-old son. you got to respect that. But that move is one of the more polarizing moves so far this offseason because Edmonton Oilers fans are pissed. We'll take a look at that deal. And as I mentioned a few episodes ago, the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken to officially enter the National Hockey League is coming this week on July 21st. Seth Rohrabaugh, beat writer for the Pittsburgh Penguins, will join us a little bit later in a great discussion about the state of hockey, the Pittsburgh Penguins' approach to the expansion draft, and their approach to the offseason. But first, I'm getting vacation started early with a Rocky Mountain ice-cold Coors Light. God damn, I love the sound of that. (sighs) Right off the rip, though, I got to mention before we get into anything, you know, in the intro, I said we're going to go to Deep Creek Lake down in Maryland. Uh, My family's going for vacation, you know, this upcoming week. It's going to be awesome. Both my sisters, my brother-in-laws, their kids, my mom's coming, my cousin's coming. Uh, It's going to be a blast to get everybody in the same place. We got a lake house, you know, right on the lake. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to go and you know, a couple months ago, whenever we were really officially planning this whole trip, my mom texted my brother-in-law, Andrew, and I shout to Andrew and said, hey, you guys got to pass this uh, boating license test or whatever to get your boating license in Maryland in order to be, op- be able to operate the, the boat that the house has. So I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, I mean, I've been going to Deep Creek my entire life. And I know a lot of people out there maybe that are listening don't think of Western Maryland as a vacation destination, but it's a pretty good time, especially, you know, it's only about two and a half hours from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, I went to WVU down in Morgantown, so it's pretty close. You know, it's it's a good time, especially, you know, in the summertime. It's got an awesome, awesome lake. You can go boating. And like I said in the intro, you can swim. You can go, you know, uh, jet ski and all that stuff, water skiing, tubing, whatever you're into. And in the wintertime, you know, you can go skiing. It's got a great resort down there, Wisp Resort. And, you know, believe it or not, I hate skiing. I'm terrible at skiing. I know I like to play ice hockey. I love hockey, but I'm just brutal at skiing, so I don't even try. I will go on a ski trip with the boys and whoever wants to go, and I'll just sit back in the lodge and crush some Coors Lights while you guys are out there having a fun time, just you know, flying down the mountain, crashing into trees and all that stuff, whatever you like to do, but that's just not me. But back to the boat thing. So my brother-in-law, you know, he goes ahead and starts doing it, and he texts me. He's like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I'm going to be able to, you know, navigate a naval cruise ship off the coast of Somalia after this course, for fuck's sake. I mean, I think I'll be able to handle a pontoon in Deep Creek Lake. It was crazy. Like, I didn't even do it. My mom is probably going to listen to this, you know, maybe before we get to the, the place, and she'll be pissed off because she reminded me about 25 times. But that's just what young Timothy does. He procrastinates, 
And uh, I ultimately didn't do it because you know why? It's eight hours. It's an eight-hour course to drive a pontoon boat. I'm not driving a speedboat. I'm not driving anything like that. I'm not navigating. I'm not jumping over a wake. I'm not, you know, none of that shit. I got my family on a pontoon boat. I don't even know what the speed, I think it's um, in knots is what boats go. I don't even know if you can calculate knots for a pontoon boat. It goes so goddamn slow. But I just remember it being knots because uh, my brother-in-law, my other brother-in-law, Mike, we used to watch Whale Wars all the time, which was a great show um, in the Southern Ocean where they used to stop the Japanese whaling fleet from killing whales for you know science research or whatever the Japanese said it was for, but they were really consuming it and eating it and selling it in markets and stuff like that. Um, that's the only reason I know, you know, that boats travel, the speed is calculated in knots, which is pretty sick. I wish cars were calculated in knots. That's way cooler than like miles per hour, but I digress from that. I'm getting off on a tangent, but you know, back to what I was saying, eight hours in a 75 question test to be able to drive a pontoon boat. Fuck off. I'm not doing that. No way. So, uh, you know, I thought I was, I planned on, honestly, I'll go back. I, I planned on doing it the whole time, but I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And whenever I saw it was eight hours. I mean, come on, no way. So I'm glad my brother-in-law, Andrew, did it. We'll be able to have somebody drive the boat while we go down there. Um, you know, obviously, he's got a, him and my sister have a three-year-old son. Um, the day I'm recording this Thursday, it's actually his third birthday. So happy birthday to Heath. Um, what a boss he is. And my daughter, obviously, a little bit over too. So it's going to be fun to watch them play. I can't wait for that. Um, so, you know, I don't know how often we'll be out on the boat, to be honest with you, but I just wanted to bring that up on the podcast because that's my gripe with the state of Maryland. I'm sure that's similar to every other state because like, why do I need to do that? I mean, if I go rent, if I go rent a boat at a marina, you know, I can just watch a 15 minute video. They tell you how to keep it between the buoys and, you know, like Jimmy Buffett used to do. And then they would, um, they tell you how to put your life jacket on and all that shit. Like it's ridiculous. Why in the hell? Would I have to take an eight-hour course in a 75-question exam to be able to drive just a regular boat? It'd be one thing if I was driving a fishing boat out on Chesapeake Bay or something like that. But, you know, swig a beer for my brother-in-law, Andrew, for passing the test. Appreciate you. And last week, I talked a lot about uh, Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup and what a remarkable team they were. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention their parade. I mean, it was a gong show, honestly. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, he was absolutely buckled. Uh, from the very start, I mean, even after, like I talked about his press conference last episode, but, um, you know, he was even drunker. I feel like on the boat, it was awesome. They had all the cameras there. He was having a good time. You know, he's just absolutely buckled. Like I said, he was like out Ovechkining Ovechkin. So it started back when the Capitals finally won the Stanley cup in 2018. They were just going bananas. They were swimming in the fountain. I don't know where that was in DC or maybe it was at Nats park, uh, where the Washington nationals play, but it was pretty entertaining, and you see these guys starting to come out of their shells. And maybe it's the Russian players with Ovechkin first, and now Nikita Kucherov. Um, but pretty awesome to see how much fun they were having. The fans were really out having a blast. It's pretty sick to be in Tampa Bay and win the Stanley Cup because they don't have like your typical parade through the city. They have like a boat parade, you know, through the bay and all that stuff. It's pretty awesome. The fans are lining the you know the sides of the bay and the water and all that cheering, and the the players are going. You got fans out on jet skis you know, uh, taking pictures with the players and stuff like that, chugging beers with the players and chugging pink Whitney and other vodka and all that stuff. It's pretty awesome. It'd, it'd be pretty fun to be a lightning fan down there partying with the boys on the, on the water. And, um, you know, <laughs> it was pretty cool too. Cause, uh, you know, or pretty ironic, I should say, because I guess it was really wet. It started raining and the actual like celebration got canceled or postponed after the actual parade was over, like wherever they go to the one spot and they had their speeches and all that, it got postponed. 
Um, but Patrick Maroon, who won his third Stanley Cup in a row, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, one with St. Louis and two with Tampa Bay here, he was carrying the cup and he allegedly slipped. Now, he blames it on it being wet. I don't know if alcohol had anything to do with it, but he fell backwards on his ass and dropped the Stanley Cup and put a massive dent in the very top of the cup. I mean, it looked pretty bad, and people were shitting on the lightning all over Twitter because people that don't know how to have fun and celebrate were saying they were being disrespectful to the cup like Tom Brady was doing to the Lombardi Trophy back when they won the Super Bowl and throwing it from boat to boat in the lake and stuff like that. I mean, or in the bay, I should say. You can't even compare the Lombardi Trophy to the Stanley Cup, but they weren't doing that. Um, it's been reported that he had, he accidentally fell down and uh, dented the cup. It's not the first time. I mean, I think the New York Islanders left the Stanley Cup on the side of the highway back in the 80s in New York. Uh, the Stanley Cup's been on the bottom of Mario Lemieux's pool, um, you know, in the 90s with the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's definitely, I'm sure there's a lot of things that people don't want to talk about that they've done with the Stanley Cup. So it's not disrespectful. It's fun. They're partying. They're having a good time. It got sent back to Montreal. It was funny. Uh, the GM for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Julian Breezeball, he said, that, uh, you know, basically the Stanley Cup had an upper body injury and, uh, you know, was going to be out a little bit. He was day to day. It got fixed. They fixed it. They sent it back to Tampa for their cup celebration. So each guy will get the cup for one day. Uh, so it'd be pretty cool because I don't think they were able to do that last year with COVID. So they'll get their celebration to take it back to their hometown with their family and all that stuff. So uh, swig of beer for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, and it, well, before I take the swig of beer, I wanted to mention too that Nikita Kucherov and a bunch of guys had shirts that said 18 million over the cap. Like that's ultimate trolling. I love that. It's hilarious. You can say what you want about them being over the salary cap, but it's pretty funny that they're owning it and just rubbing it in people's faces and pissing people off even more. So swig of beer for the Tampa Bay Lightning, winning the Stanley Cup, having a great parade and getting to rightfully uh, celebrate with their family and their friends and all that with Lord Stanley's Cup. And also with John Cooper, the coach for the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, just an unbelievable guy. Uh, they had some awesome footage of him going through. I think he was mic'd up going through the shake, uh, the handshake line, I should say, with the Montreal Canadiens after the series was over and they clinched the Stanley Cup. And it was pretty cool to see. You know, he was talking to Cole Caulfield of the Habs. He was saying, you know, you got a bright future, a hell of a future coming. Um, Nick Suzuki, Philip Deneau, he talked to Carey Price and talked to Carey Price, hey, man, you know, you battled, you battled real hard. I feel for you. I feel for you because it might be the last crack Carey Price has at a Stanley Cup. Montreal fans don't want to hear that. But honestly, I think it was a little bit of a fluke that they made it based on the North Division. But you never know. We'll see what happens next season. But it was pretty awesome to see. And honestly, I owe John Cooper, um, the Lightning coach, an apology. So a couple episodes back, I think I had my buddy Ray on. And we talked about some of the best coaches in the NHL. And I didn't mention John Cooper. I mentioned Rod Brendamore, I mentioned Barry Trotz, uh, I mentioned Mike Sullivan, you know, and that was my mistake. I mean, those guys are all great, but John Cooper's the best coach in the National Hockey League. It's not even close. This guy, if you don't know his story, I don't want to get into all of it, but you should definitely look it up. It's pretty awesome. He's honestly, I heard Ryan Whitney on the Spittin' Chicklets podcast basically describe it so well, because John Cooper was on that podcast. He basically said, you know what? He's like Gordon Bombay without the DUI. Like, he wasn't even interested in being a hockey coach really he he was a lawyer you know he, he passed his uh, bar exam he was a practicing attorney um, he coached the high school team uh, I think the high school team's coach or whatever either left and went somewhere else or he got let go and you know somebody asked him to be the coach and basically he worked his way all the way up from high school and uh, some college teams uh, like up in Green Bay and the USHL uh, the United States Hockey League all all the way 
up to the National Hockey League. You got to admire it. In his first eight seasons in Tampa as the head coach, five conference finals, three Stanley Cup appearances, and two Stanley Cup victories. Just incredible what he's been able to do. So again, I owe him an apology. Um, He's an unbelievable guy. I would love to play for John Cooper if I played in the NHL, and I'm sure a lot of guys do. He just seems so down to earth, so cool. Um, definitely appreciative of where he's been and you know where he's gotten to and the opportunities he's had. He's thankful to Steve Eiserman and Julianne Breezebois, the two general managers that built that team. Um, so a swig of beer for John Cooper. I just wanted to apologize on behalf of the Rambling Brews podcast for leaving him out of the best coaches in the National Hockey League because that's absurd. He is the best coach in the NHL. Really just goes to show you, you don't even really have to be an X's and O's guy. You don't have to be a guy that played, um, you know, at, at a very high level. You just got to have that. You got to get people to buy in. I mean, he has people buy in. You got to w- go watch his videos of his pregame speeches and stuff like that. It's just inspiring. It's short. It's simple. But he's basically just like firing the boys up and getting them going. And you got to respect the hell out of him. Um, I want to pivot over and talk about what I mentioned in the intro with the Minnesota Wild and what's going on up there. Bill Guerin, man, the cojones on this guy. I think it's his second or third year as the general manager in Minnesota. And they decided they were going to buy out the contracts of Ryan Suter, their defenseman, and Zach Parise. They're, um, I think he's a left winger now, but he's a, he's a winger. He was a top six winger at the time, but he was scratched a little bit in the playoffs. Um, he's getting older. These guys both, I think it was July 2nd, 2012. That was like the day basically that killed the Minnesota Wild franchise. Um both Zach Parise and Ryan Suter signed 13-year, $98 million simultaneous deals with the same team. So, I mean, honestly, at the time, too, Zach Parise was uh, rumored to be interested or potentially coming to Pittsburgh. And I remember exactly where I was. I was at my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, her uh, mom's house. And we were upstairs just hanging out, I think, getting ready to go to dinner. And I saw the rumor swirling, and I was so pumped. I think it was because right before that, uh, New Jersey was in the Stanley Cup final. I believe they lost to the Los Angeles Kings. And Sidney Crosby was up in the box at the game with uh, Zach Parise's family because they were pretty close. I think they they knew each other from someplace um, in the past. And I was like, oh, yeah, Parise's coming to Pittsburgh. He was right in his prime. And ultimately, he went and signed in Minnesota where he, you know, where he grew up back in his hometown and I was so glad the Penguins didn't sign him because he was a package deal with Ryan Suter. Now, Ryan Suter's a hell of a defenseman. Been a great defenseman for a long time, a staple on the United States hockey, um, you know, international team blue line and on the Minnesota blue line. Even played pretty well this year. And rumors are he's pretty pissed off that he got bought out and really didn't have any indication of that at the exit meeting at the end of the season. But, um, you know, anytime you sign somebody and two guys to 13 year deals, $98 million a piece. I mean, the owner, you know, Leopold, I believe is his last name, you know, 200 sheets to two guys, and they really got nothing done. I don't know how many playoff series they won, if any. Um, just honestly, a, a big dud of a contract for those two guys. And you can understand why Billy Guerin would might, you know, might want to buy out those contracts and get out from under the, the financial burden. But honestly, if you don't know about the buyouts, I'm going to pull it up here. So the idea of a buyout, basically, I believe – is that you know you can buy the person's contract out and you owe them two thirds of the money they were left on their contract, but it's spread out over a you know a, a more lengthy period of time on your salary cap. So there was four years left on both Zach Parise and Ryan Suter's contract, and these are both identical um, buyout you know for for the next couple of years. So this this year they save a lot of money. 
So there's only a cap hit of about $5 million total between the two. Um, next year, 2022-2023, there's about a $12 million cap hit. Then the next two years, there's almost a $15 million cap hit. That's dead money, all these numbers I'm giving you. Dead money. So in 2023 and 2024, and then 2024 and 2025, they've got $15 million on their salary cap. Mind you, Connor McDavid makes $12.5 million. So Nathan McKinnon makes $6.3 million. Now, I know he's underpaid, but basically they have potentially two superstar salaries on their books, and they're getting nothing because those players aren't even on the team. So it's ridiculous. Their buyout goes all the way to 2029, where it's really only like 833000 those last couple years. But the buyout penalties in 2023 and 2024 are very, very uh, you know tough to swallow if you're a Minnesota Wild fan because they've got a good young team. They've got Kirill Kaprizov, who I want to talk about in a second with his contract. This year, I believe they save about $10 bucks, um, you know, on the cap. So they got a chance to do something. But what can they really do? I know they're in on Jack Eichel from Buffalo. But Jack Eichel has a $10 million cap hit himself for a couple years coming up. I mean, I think he's got five or six years left on his deal that he signed in Buffalo. So what are you supposed to do if you're Minnesota? I mean, you have that massive $15 million on your cap. You know, it's pretty crazy that he was able to do this and he was willing to do this. And the owner was willing to do it. The owner, they still have to pay the money. You know, and, and they're up against the salary cap, so they can't go out and acquire guys. So you're going to be a worse team because you have $15 million in dead cap. You can't use that money to sign guys, and the owner still has to pay those players to not play for his team and more than likely play for another team. Ryan Suter, I think he'll have 31 other teams banging down his door. He's a good player. I'd love to see him come to Pittsburgh, a depth defenseman. He's a stay-at-home defenseman. He doesn't score a lot, but he's very, very sound. Great player. I think he can still play pretty well, maybe 21, 22 minutes a night. He was playing pretty well for Minnesota this year, and they had a nice playoff run, as we've talked about on previous episodes. And I think the foregone conclusion is Zach Parise is going to end up a New York Islander back with general manager Lou Lamarillo, who was his GM in New Jersey when they went to the Stanley Cup final, as I mentioned prior. So, you know, those guys, they're still going to get their money from Minnesota. And like I said, they get two thirds of their pay. So all they really have to do is negotiate their new contract with their new team and they can you know go make minimal money because they're still going to be getting paid from Minnesota and they can maybe say hey just match me up to what I would have been getting paid if I didn't get bought out and the team that signs them now it's a favorable deal um you know pretty crazy to see i'm definitely surprised and like i said they got guys to sign in Minnesota Kirill Kaprizov they offered him 9 million dollars over 8 years 9 million a year over 8 years and he's turned it down um, I have to wonder what his agent is thinking. I, I, they've reported they want to have a three or four year deal because he thinks when the salary cap goes up, whenever the revenues recover after COVID and all that stuff and the new US TV deal kicks in, he'll be an 11 to $12 million player. This guy, mind you, has played one year in the National Hockey League, albeit an unbelievable year, a great rookie year. He won the Calder Trophy. I've been pumping his tires all season. But one year and they're going to give you 72 sheets guaranteed? And your agent's like, nah, bro, we can wait for a little bit. What happens if you get injured in that short bridge deal? I don't know. I wouldn't do it. Seventy-two. What's the difference between seventy-two million and a hundred million? It's still a shit ton of money. I would take the guarantee if I'm them. But honestly, if I'm Minnesota, I don't know why Bill Guerin's trying to. He, he just bought out a two lengthy, expensive contracts, and he's going to go after Jack Eichel potentially, who has a lengthy, expensive contract, and then he's going to offer Kirill Kaprizov a lengthy, expensive, expensive contract. It just doesn't make sense to me what they're doing up there. I'm surprised. Um, 
But swig of beer for, for those guys for getting bought out, still getting their money and the potential to go and sign with another team and maybe a better team, you know, in the case of Zach Parise to uh, go to the New York Islanders. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ryan Suter end up as a Vegas Golden Knight. The one thing uh, I want to talk about, too, is with Edmonton, it kind of ties to Minnesota. I mentioned Duncan Keith, the legend from Chicago, three-time Stanley Cup winner, Conn Smythe Trophy winner. He moves on to go back to uh, Edmonton uh, or go to Western Canada. That's where he preferred to go, and Edmonton was his number one choice because he wanted to be near his son. His family lives up there, and like everything with the COVID protocols, he wasn't allowed in the offseason to go across the border and all that. He went about three or four months without seeing his eight-year-old son, and he didn't want to do that. He wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen this year with the COVID protocols and all that. So he's on the tail end, the back nine of his career. He wanted to go home and uh, be near his family. You got to respect the hell out of him for that. And honestly, it puts uh, Edmonton in a bad spot. I mean, in a good spot, I feel like, because he said, I want to play for the Oilers. I want to go to Western Canada, but I want to play for the Oilers. Mind you, he had a no-move clause from Chicago. So he basically held the cards where he wanted to go. And that's why Oilers fans are so pissed, because he carries like a 5.8 million cap hit, and he's old. He's like 37 or 38. He's going to be 40 or 41 when his contract expires. And they had Chicago by the balls. Like Duncan Keith controlled where he wanted to go. He had to waive his no-move clause to go wherever. And he, and Edmonton knew he wanted to go to Edmonton. So they traded Caleb Jones, a good young player, um, brother of Seth Jones, who we'll talk about in a second, the stud defenseman for the Columbus Blue Jackets. I believe a draft pick. And um, Chicago sent Duncan Keith and another prospect, but they didn't retain any of the salary. That's the big gripe if you're an Oilers fan. You know, they had Chicago by the balls. Why not just get them to take a little bit of the salary? I mean, Edmonton's already up against the cap with, um, you know, Connor McDavid making 12 and a half sheets and Leon Dreisaitl making eight and a half sheets. I mean, in the flat cap over the next couple of years, you would think they would try to get them to take, you know, a little bit of a salary retention and maybe ship them back another draft pick or something because Edmonton, they need to win now. They don't have much time until I've talked about this before until McDavid says, I'm out of here. Um, that's the big gripe, I think, if you're an Oilers fan. And honestly, I mean, I, I like the deal for Chicago. Um, you know, they're, they're opening up some cap space. They're definitely going to go after Seth Jones. I think getting his brother there, uh, is going to help him, uh, sign a long-term deal there. I think he only has one year left on his contract. He signs a extension there. He goes to, um, Chicago and, you know, they're honestly a much better team as soon as he gets there. And his brother, Caleb, he's, he's a good player. I think he'll make the lineup on opening night. And I've also heard that uh, the Chicago Blackhawks may be in on Marc-Andre Fleury in a trade, but I think they're going to wait until after the expansion draft so they don't have to expose a goaltender because if they trade for him now, then they would have to pick, you know, what, whatever goaltender they, they want to protect um, on their roster now or Marc-Andre Fleury. And obviously if you trade for Fleury, you're going to protect him so you don't lose him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Chicago Blackhawks with regard to, uh, you know, their opening night roster and what happens throughout the offseason here, because this offseason is going to be wild. These teams are up against the salary cap. There's going to be lots of trades, lots of buyouts. I cannot wait to see what happens. I'm so fucking pumped for this. Um, and speaking of the expansion draft, I think now's a perfect time to send it over to Seth Rorabaugh, the beat writer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He writes for Trib Sports. Uh, his third time on the show, he's got great insight. We had a great conversation about the state of hockey, the Penguins' approach to the expansion draft, who who they might protect, who they might leave unprotected, and their approach to free agency and what their team might look like going into the next season. So enjoy this interview.
Ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to bring back a friend of the Rambling Brews podcast for his third appearance. This man covers the Pittsburgh Penguins for Trib Sports here in Pittsburgh. And just when you think hockey season's over and the things are going to start to quiet down, the Seattle Kraken expansion draft, the NHL free agency, and what should be an exciting offseason league-wide is upon us. And here to break it all down, the man Seth Rorabaugh. How's it going? Uh, very well, Tim. Appreciate the kind words as always, and uh, good to be here. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming back. Appreciate it. Uh, I know the listeners always enjoy when you're on and your insight. So, you know, we do very much appreciate it. Um, I, like I mentioned in the intro, you know, the, the season's over now. The, the Stanley Cup was awarded to the Tampa Bay Lightning. I kind of wanted to get your take before we dive into any offseason topics on, um, you know, whether you watch the playoffs or not, the, the remainder of the playoffs after the Penguins got eliminated by the Islanders in the first round. I think the last time you were on, it was right after the NHL trade deadline before the playoffs. So I just wanted to get your take on the playoffs as a whole and the run for Montreal making it to the final and Tampa ultimately going back to back. Uh, it was, it was all strange uh, just based on the format. You know, it, I mean, this was, you know, a season that was obviously very much impacted by uh, um, the pandemic and just how it was formatted, how it was structured. Um, and that included into the playoffs, uh, you know, you know, the first two rounds were all division. Then you get to a, to a quote unquote conference final, and then you get to the cup final. And um, obviously, with the Canadian division or the North division kind of off by itself uh, due to the U.S. Canada border closure, um, mm-hmm. that kind of you know created an avenue for a Canadian team to get all the way to the cup final. Um, and full marks to the Canadians for beating uh, Vegas in the in the third round, but. Um, I, I think it was pretty clear that they didn't really have much business being in the Stanley Cup final, just going, uh, given how um, much they were dominated by the Tampa Bay Lightning in, in that uh, in that series. So, um, strange season, a strange playoff. Uh, I'm personally, it's glad I'm a, it's over with. Uh, uh, just wasn't a very fun season to cover in terms of you know um, screaming at my laptop trying to ask Zach Aston Reese at practice about the penalty kill while there's a Zamboni going over. <laughs> um, running, going over the ice uh, at, pra- at the practice rink. So um, hopefully things are back to normal. Hopefully, we're, you know, we're back to the dressing room. Hopefully actually talking to players as real, genuine human beings instead of through a laptop and things like that uh, going forward next season. But um, just a strange year on, on a lot of levels. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, I definitely, I, I tend to agree for sure. Like, it just seemed different um i was glad they were able to get the season done i think you got to give kudos to the national hockey league for being able to you know to do that and the the other sports leagues as well that were able to finish their uh, seasons the nba is almost wrapped up but um definitely will be nice hopefully with full capacity uh, arenas next year and i'm sure like you mentioned for you guys getting the access back and it'll be uh, good for the consumers and fans and and readers and stuff of your guys columns because you'll be able to have more access and stuff like that and be a little bit easier on you guys um and i agree i montreal i mean I thought they might be able to put up a little bit better fight in the Stanley Cup final just based on how well Carey Price had played and how well um, you know they played as a unit and as a team. But Tampa Bay, I mean, they're like a, a buzzsaw pretty much. I mean, they're just – I think they were going to beat anybody. I, I was hoping for a Colorado, um, you know, Tampa Bay matchup. But I, I did see some people said that they were thinking about possibly having a like the North Division type format again next year, um, at least initially, like maybe halfway through the season. But – I don't know if like the ratings are any indication because in the United States the new the new TV deal coming up this year, uh, I know the ratings in the U.S. weren't very strong with the uh, Tampa Bay market and then you know a Canadian team. I, it might have been different, maybe I don't know what your thoughts are. If it was like McDavid and the Oilers playing against the the Lightning, it might be different. But I usually try not to get too much into into TV ratings. 
Yeah, a lot of times the TV ratings are, are based on the local market. And, um, you know, like if, if, say, the Pittsburgh Penguins were in, or the Chicago Blackhawks were in, or the Boston Bruins, whatever, um, that will buoy ratings, uh, the overall national number, uh, you know, just based on, you know, the, the population or the interest in that market. Um, so right. Particularly in Pittsburgh's case, you know, there's so many displaced Pittsburghers you know, around the country that that, that tends to boost. Uh, anytime there's a Pittsburgh team, Steelers, Pirates, what have you, um, that will boost, you know, a national number. Um, but when you have a Canadian team, uh, particularly one that's French-Canadian, not, not to be xenophobic or anything like that, but um, just the amount of Americans who actually care about the, the Montreal Canadiens is, is, is limited. So, uh, And Tampa Bay, you know, for all their success, isn't a traditional hockey market. So, um, no, that, that, that was always going to maybe drag down the national number a little bit, um, just those factors alone, but... Um, also too, you know, it's, it's mi- middle of July, you know, most people are outside doing things. Uh, I don't think they want to watch television right. after being cooped up in their house for so long, uh, for so many months, uh, due to the pandemic. So, um, just a lot of factors, I think that we're going to hurt the national numbers, uh, in terms of television. But, um, uh, again, I mean, hopefully next season with things quote unquote normal, uh, and, and the move to ESPN, Turner, TNT, what have you. Um, that will buoy those numbers uh, going into the next season. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, what um, you know, what are your feelings? I guess with them going to ESPN and TNT, I know, I know uh, the NBA does very well on TNT, and I hope they have like a similar format to the Inside the NBA show with Charles Barkley and Shaq. I don't know if you you really have those kinds of personalities, maybe from uh, NHL like Hall of Famers and veterans. Uh, I know that they're stockpiling ESPN and TNT are stockpiling a lot of talent and a lot of big names, but like what your thoughts are and what you expect uh, the coverage to look like from ESPN. Cause traditionally, I mean, they've always been, I don't think anybody can den- deny it, at least in the last 20 years, they've been, you know, not even like second fiddle. They're like third, fourth or fifth fiddle to the, <laughs> to the, uh, you know, other leagues, the NFL and the NBA on ESPN, the NHL is. Well, I think for the, the thing that's going to benefit them the most is that ESPN and Turner are much more accessible than NBC Sports Network, at least, ever was. Um, you, know, I, you know, just kind of a, a anecdotal example here. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where if I'm traveling and uh, you know, I want to watch the game that's on NBC Sports Network that night in my hotel room, um, I can't get it. Um, it's right. just not available. And I'm sure that was still the case for a lot of households. Uh, around the country um, to try to get NBC Sports Network, you know, that that wasn't always a guarantee. Whereas if you have a basic cable package, you get ESPN, you get TNT. Um, You can watch, you know, TNT and watch, uh, you know, Rizzolian Isles as much as you want, whatever they, whatever rerun from him, cop drama show that they have uh, on opposite, you know, with NBA (laughs) games or um, whatever, dumb debate show ESPN's putting on at two in the afternoon, you can watch. Uh, right. So I just think the, the accessibility factor is going to benefit um, uh, the NHL as a whole. That said, I mean, um, it's 2021. You know, most people, a lot of people, I should say, um, watch their television, watch their content through streaming platforms. And I think uh, ESPN probably has a better platform on that sense, too. Um, in terms of uh, you know the streaming capabilities and, and, and things like that uh, to watch games remotely or, or wherever you might be so um, and again just from a from an accessibility standpoint um, I, I think it's gonna be better for the NHL uh, with in regards to you know personalities and things like that I, I don't know that the National Hockey League has anyone like that 
along the lines of a Charles Barkley or anything like that. I, I know for many years they tried going with like a Jeremy Roenick, but um, I, I think Charles Barkley seemed much more genuine than, than Jeremy Roenick ever did in terms of trying to be um, that outlandish, say off the top of his, you know, whatever's on the top of his mind um, type of personality. Jeremy Roenick just seemed much more forced, in my opinion. And, um, I, again, I just don't know that the NHL has anyone like that. I, I give full marks to Turner and ESPN for trying to go big. You know, I, I know they brought, they've signed guys like Wayne Gretzky, Chris Chelios, Mark Messier. You know, absolute Hall of Famers. Um, I just don't know that uh, they have the name appeal uh, that a guy like Charles Barkley had has but um you look at other sports i mean the nfl i mean you, you have hall of famers like terry bradshaw troy aikman uh bill cower or whatever kind of hosting those uh, tony Dodge right. hosting a lot of those like pre-game post-game shows um you know doing the, the play-by-play broadcasting things like that um uh, the nba does that now major league baseball does that with guys like john smoltz cal ripkin etc so uh pedro martinez i believe still does some stuff for major league baseball so um there's something to be said for you know bringing a, uh, someone with a name. Um, I don't know how much that impacts the final number in per- terms of uh, broadcasting or you know, television ratings, things like that. But um, I, I think it you know that name value uh, lends some credibility uh, instead of having you know all due respect you know Keith Jones or Patrick Sharp uh, kind of telling you what happened during the first intermission. Oh, great point. Definitely a great point. I was going to say that like um, no disrespect to those guys, but the Anson Carters and like. Um, when they had Mike Milbury and stuff, I think you maybe get a little bit more credibility and people will be more inclined to listen to the analysis. You know, say what you want or whatever people think of Mike Babcock. I thought his analysis was pretty strong when he did like a couple spots here and there on NBC this year. And, you know, because he's been there, he's won big games. He's, you know, he's a big time coach, no matter what people think of him now. But, um, you know, there's something to be said for that. So, and also too, I don't want to bury NBC. I know NBC did a great job. They, they were really the only partner that, um, you know, would, would take the NHL, you know, basically after the lockout. I think it was like an outdoor network or something that went to Versus and ultimately NBC Sports. And I thought they always had a pretty top-notch broadcast in terms of the game and the presentation. And, you know, Doc Emmerich being one of the best of all time. Um, you know, Eddie Olchek, those guys, you know, Brian Boucher. Some of them are moving on, um, like you mentioned, to ESPN or TNT roles. Um, I saw Pierre Maguire got hired by the Ottawa Senators today, which was pretty surprising. Uh, what, what did you think about that? Yeah, I think he's in player development, right? Yeah, I mean, there's chances are there aren't many people that have that know more about the sport than you know Pierre Maguire, uh, you know, particularly where a guy played when he was 12 years old or, or things like that. But um, yeah, Pierre Maguire's been pining for a for kind of a front office job well before uh, he was out of work as a broadcaster. So um, yeah, and the Ottawa Senators is not exactly a destination location, but. Um, it's a National Hockey League team. It's a team that uh, you, you know is usually on the low end in terms of um, you know, spending money on current NHL players. So uh, that's right. a team that's always going to be looking to draft and develop players well. And they've done that fairly well over the past 10, 15 years. So um, it seems like on the surface, you know, a good match there for Pierre Maguire to, to kind of look at, you know, amateur players and uh, prospects coming up and things like that. Um, uh, personally, I didn't, I didn't have a a strong like for him on the broadcast side of things. I just thought he kind of talked down to the audience. Um, and I, I wasn't terribly upset when he got bumped to the, to the second crew for NBC sports. Uh, and I'm not terribly upset that I won't be listening to him on ESPN or TNT, but um, I certainly don't wish any ill will for him as far as, uh, you know, job and things like that. So, um, right. it, you know, hopefully this works out for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, it's, it's good to see that he found somewhere to land. Uh, 
to use his talents uh, for a team that probably could use him, frankly. I agree. I, uh, I think it's actually a pretty good hire. I know you just, people look at it and see Pierre Maguire and there's a lot of people that have strong opinions on Pierre, but he does, like you mentioned, he knows a lot about the game. You know, he's been a coach before assistant and head coach. Uh, so, you know, it remains to be seen. He might do a very good job. You don't know. So um, I want to pivot over and talk about like the, the Penguins. So they're pretty tight up against the salary cap right now. Um, I think a lot of teams are because of the, the flat cap of the last couple of years and they're unrestricted free agents with uh, Colton CVR, uh, Evan Rodriguez, Freddie Gaudreau, and Cody Ceci, basically. Uh, those are unrestricted. And then the restricted free agents of Mark Jankowski, Teddy Bluger, and Zach Aston Reese. I guess in terms of priority, who do you think they'll they'll bring back? I guess we can start with the, the UFAs, if they'll bring any of them back. Because um, I, I would figure the RFAs, they're going to at least, they're definitely going to sign Teddy Bluger. And you know, Zach Aston Reese and Mark Jankowski are probably maybe a little bit more of a question mark. But I'm, I'm interested at what your take is on, you know, who you think the, the Penguins will prioritize in terms of their free agents. Uh, as far as the unrestricted guys go, I mean, I would imagine Evan Rodriguez is probably the leading priority just based on the fact that he'll be cheap to resign. Um, you know, I don't think he, I, I think, he, let me look this up here real quick. Uh, what he made, um, less than a million. I, you know, eight. Yeah, I think it was like 850 or something. Yeah, 842,000, uh, I guess was his cap hit. So, I mean, if he gets a raise up to a million dollars, that wouldn't be too terrible. Um, if you brought him back on a one year deal. Um, I can't imagine he'll command much on the on, on you know the free agent market if he gets to that point. But um, uh, uh, you know, I was looking up bad numbers here. Uh, yeah, he he played for the league minimum. Actually, I, I apologize. I looked up bad numbers here. He played for the league minimum here last year. So if he gets a modest raise over that uh, in the terms limited. You know, to I eat in, you know no more than a year. Um, I, I think that'd be ideal for the Penguins. I mean, he's obviously a very versatile player. Can play all three forward positions. And for a team that you know went went through forwards quite a bit last year, uh, a guy like that can be pretty invaluable. So to me, he should be their leading offseason priority. Um, Cody Cece, I mean, obviously he's he's a better player than Evan Rodriguez, uh, uh, but I think it's a lost cause in terms of trying to re-sign him. He just played so well uh, his year here in Pittsburgh. Um, I think he kind of priced himself out, and you know, right-handed defensemen are never going to be sh- uh, you know short for for potential suitors here. So. Um, I just don't know that uh, Cody Cece is going to be in, within the Penguins' price range here um, uh, moving forward. So, um, you know, best of luck to him. Congratulations to him on you know doing making the most out of a one-year deal uh, here in Pittsburgh and kind of giving his career a bit of a course correction. So um, he'll probably be out of range for them. Uh, Colton Skeever and I, I think, you know, the Penguins would, you know, be well-suited well to kind of part ways with him. Uh, Freddie Gaudreau is the one that's really intriguing. I don't know if like he showed enough uh, in his limited time here um, to merit a full time you know one way deal um, going with any team, but um, in his limited time, he looked like a very good player. Uh, he made the most of it. So, um, and he obviously can play a few positions there. So, um, and I would like to see the Penguins bring him back for their own sake, but. Um, uh, again, I don't know if uh, it just takes one general manager to kind of overvalue a player. And if someone says, you know, oh, we really like Freddie Gaudreau. Here's a two million yard, you know, two million, uh, you know, dollar deal here. Uh, that takes him out of their their, their range. But um, no, I mean, I, I'd probably go Evan Rodriguez, Freddie Gaudreau as their offseason priorities with unrestricted free agents, at least. Yeah, I would agree. I think they'll um, they'll let. 
Colton Sevier go, I probably would too. He wasn't, I mean, you always need, like you mentioned, you always need forwards, um, especially the Penguins, the way they, they tend to get injured um, up front, really all throughout the whole lineup. But he didn't seem like he, he you know, was much of a fit, I, I didn't think, at least personally. And I think Freddie Goudreau probably did play himself into at least get consideration from the Penguins to give him another, you know, another year. And maybe because he was out of the league. I mean, he played for Nashville and then he was out of the league, I think, maybe playing the AHL. And then he got to deal with or signed up with Pittsburgh. And so maybe he's, you know, willing to take a, you know, it's a good fit in Pittsburgh. He played well. Uh, maybe, you know, he likes the system of coaches and stuff like that. And maybe he uses a one-year deal to potentially try to get that, you know, $2 million offer potentially over maybe two-year deal, you know, after that. And when the salary cap starts to go up a little bit, um, and maybe he does some, does well over a full season and opens the eyes of some other general managers in the league. So I agree. I uh, I would like the Penguins to re-sign Cody Ceci. Um, I don't think anybody – you know, in Twitter's loud, people on Twitter and fans and stuff, and I'm sure you see it all the time, Seth, but last year, I don't think anybody would have thought that, you know, he would play as well as he did, but like you said, kudos to him, he did great, he's probably going to get a nice payday, a nice pay raise, um, you know, getting him out of Toronto, I think, really helped him and take the pressure off a little bit, because he was kind of like the whipping boy up there, similar to Jake Gardner uh, before him, it's always one guy in Toronto that ends up being the whipping boy, but um so yeah, and with restricted free agents, what do you think like the the contract would look like for, um, in your opinion, for like a Teddy Bluger? Oh man, uh, I'm not sure because this landscape's so strange. Uh, just with the economics, as you mentioned, uh, you, know, it, it, you have to see who the Penguins would lose in the expansion draft too. I mean, ideally, uh, for their case, you know, maybe they lose a Jason Zucker uh, who's at, has a cap hit of five million, five point five million, or. Yeah, maybe they lose a Marcus Pedersen at uh, you know who's a cap hit just over four million. So um, I mean, if they can you know lose some guys through the expansion draft uh, just based on their salary cap hit, that opens up a lot of possibilities on a lot of fronts. But as far as Teddy Bluger goes, uh, I mean, I, I think at the very least, I mean, you're you're talking about a guy who's you know probably worth I would say around three million a year. Um, I'm just kind of throwing that out there, just. Based on the you know eye test and you know thinking of some comparables, um, and I, I think you have to maybe sign him to maybe a a multi year contract, you know maybe three three years or something like that. Uh, um, I, I just think that highly of him myself, but um, it's always a possibility too. You can sign a guy to a bridge contract, sign him to maybe a one year deal, uh, kind of the way Marcus Pedersen did a couple years ago before he signed his big contract. Um, you know, that you bridge yourself to that next contract with that player, keep him in the fold, keep him satisfied for the time being. Uh, and hopefully maybe you're in a better place, you know, financially, uh, as a league where you can sign him to an extended long-term deal. So, um, no, but I mean, you know, absent of that, I mean, I, I mean, I, if I'm Teddy Bluger's agent, you know, I may be looking at, you know, maybe say 3 million in three years, if that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. And I think a lot of players are going to do that. You saw it last year, too, like before this season started, like uh, one name pops into my mind is Taylor Hall. Just like people probably going to sign maybe lesser deals for um, less money in hopes that, you know, the cap goes up in a year or two and then they can really cash in then. Um, I'm not sure the status of Bluger's contract. I know he's restricted, but I'm assuming he'll be unrestricted uh, after this next deal. So, you know, it's possible if he has a, you know, signs a two year deal, three million a year or whatever, and then he, he plays as well as he's been playing or maybe even progresses even more. Um, he can potentially price himself out of Pittsburgh, too, and maybe get a nice big ticket or depending on where the Penguins are at that point in terms of their roster and how they feel, if they can contend for a Stanley Cup, you know, two or three years from now, uh, maybe he, he resigns in Pittsburgh. Who knows? Um, you mentioned Marcus Pedersen. So he's making, I believe, four point one million. 
and uh, or right around there. And I think Dumoulin's making right around the same amount too. And then John Marino, uh, he just uh, you wrote an article on this recently, which um, I, I enjoyed. It was a good article um, about John Marino. His you know coming into it, this will be his first year of his new contract, right? This this upcoming season. Do you take him as more of um, you know how how um, well he played his first year or like his last year? I don't want to say he took a step back. Maybe he's a little bit of a sophomore slump. I think he had 13 points in 52 games last year. Um, you know, and, and it, like you said, a right-handed defenseman, they're hard to come by. I guess, where do you see him slotting into the Penguins, um, you know, top four? And do you think he can kind of bounce back and, um, you know, I guess, grow into that contract and make that contract a good value for the Penguins? Well, he's going to be their, you know, second pairing right-handed defenseman most likely next season. That's assuming Cody CC leaves, of course. <clears throat> and then you have a guy like Chad Rudel or Mark Friedman, whoever kind of serving as your right-handed defenseman on that third pairing. Um, but, you know, John Marino's contract kind of dictates that he must be kind of, at the very least, your, uh, uh, your second-pairing right-handed defenseman. Um, and, you know, his offensive numbers did regress. I mean, he basically scored less, uh, half as many points as he did uh, as, a, as a rookie uh, in a comparable amount of games uh, this past season. So, uh, But defensively, I mean, he was actually still a pretty strong player. Uh, I mean, the, I don't – I can't really quote you, you know, the analytics, you know, verbatim, but – a lot of them, right. you know, kind of shook out that he was a pretty good defensive player, reliable defensive player. Um, was a pretty steady presence on their penalty kill too. So, um, you know, for him, I, you know, I, I think you'd like to see him maybe you know, score a little bit more offensively. Pardon me, <clears throat> pardon me there. Um, but uh, you know, he's still a presence on their second penalty power play unit. Um, he's a guy that uh, you know, you know. Again, he's only what uh, twenty four, I think he is. So I mean, he's still growing, you know, figuring out the the professional game to, to some extent. Um, yeah, I think the Penguins would prefer to see uh, maybe a little more offensive him, you know, reminiscent of what he displayed as a rookie in uh, the the um, 2019-2020 season. Um, but I mean, there's still a lot of room for him to grow, a lot of room for him to kind of reach his ceiling. Uh, I, I think the Penguins eventually see him, you know, at least under Jim Rutherford. Uh, they saw him as you know the future, uh, their their future number one defenseman to some degree. Uh, you know, pending whatever happens with Chris Letang at some point here, but um, no, there's still a world potential there for him, and um, you know, there's probably going to be greater demands to him on him uh, starting next season when his salary bumps up to four point four million. Agreed, and like you said, with Jim Rutherford, I know it was uh, his regime that that signed Marino, but I, I'm sure you know they would have signed him regardless. But it, they definitely have a lot of confidence in him for sure at that 4.4 million cap hit, and I think it's a six year contract. So, um, and by no means what I, was I saying like I, I didn't think he um, would live up to it. I, I think he, you know, maybe maybe he took a step back offensively, like you mentioned, but defensively, I agree. I think he still played pretty well. He's strong. He's patient with the puck. He can move the puck. Right-handed defenseman, hard to come by. I think maybe with a full season. Um, and I know it's a short summer. I mean, I guess the Penguins don't really have a short summer. I guess technically maybe they do from the, the end of the season, but they were out in the first round, so they've had plenty of time hopefully to, to train and things like that, and um, everybody comes back healthy. We'll see. I I, I, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty valuable contract, to be honest with you, just personally, uh, maybe you know, a year or two into it, and then uh, throughout the course, similar to like a Brian Dumoulin, how strong Dumoulin is. And he's, you know, for defensemen in the NHL, $4 million is not that much, especially Dumoulin, a, a top pair, you know, shutdown defenseman. Um, the goal for him, I guess, or the projection for him almost kind of reminds me of what Paul Martin was uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New, Jer- New Jersey Devils all those years. Just kind of a, not a guy that's going to blow you away with any, you know, a huge number or a huge slap shot or, 
or you know gaudy offensive titles, but a guy when he has the puck, he just kind of settles things down uh, through through you know middle of a hailstorm, and um, a guy can just make the right play and the right at the right time uh, more often than not. Uh, you know, again, he had some hiccups last year, but. Um, if he meets his potential, I mean, he almost kind of reminds me or projects to me as being a guy almost like uh, Paul Martin along those lines. That's a terrific comparison. Um, definitely. And if, if he can be like Paul Martin, I mean, I think that's what the Penguins would be looking for. Anything better than that obviously is good. But Paul Martin was a strong defenseman. And I know it took him a little bit of time. I think his first year he wasn't as strong in Pittsburgh, but um, was definitely a solid defenseman the, the remainder of his career. Um, as a Penguin, do you think uh, Nathan Legare or Sam Pullen uh, cracked the lineup at all, or Pierre Olivier Joseph get in the lineup this year? Um, well, as far as Pierre Joseph, uh, I think that depends on what happens with the expansion draft. If if they can find a way to, um, if say Mike Matheson or, or Marcus Patterson uh, gets selected and move on, uh, that certainly opens up a door for for Pierre Joseph moving forward. Um, the other two guys, uh, Poulin and um, and Legere, I mean, they were dominant in the Quebec League uh, playoffs this past year. Um, uh, Legere, especially, I mean, he led the entire Quebec League, uh, Major Junior League um, uh, postseason in goal scoring. Uh, I think he almost scored a goal game uh, or something like that. But um, I would suggest Poulin just probably maybe a little more likely to get, you know crack the NHL lineup next season than Legere, just based on draft status. I mean, Poulin was a first-round pick, uh, Legere a third-round pick, but... I think they're both knocking on the door. I don't think it's guaranteed. Uh, I think guys like, say, Redeem Sahorna or um, uh, Drew O'Connor, a couple guys like that, maybe are still a little bit ahead of them in terms of uh, being guys that the team recalls, you know, in terms of you know an injury or something like that to the NHL lineup. But um, I, I, again, I think those guys are still bumping their heads up against that that ceiling there to, to break on through, but. Um, they're going to get you know a taste of the professional game one way or another. I mean, they're they're no longer eligible to play in the junior level, so um, they're going to be professionals next year one way or another. Um, but I would say out of those two, Poulin's probably the the, the closest out of, out of that group, um, just based on the fact that he was the first round pick uh, back in twenty nineteen. Right. I mean, like I said, they're only twenty. I mean, and you mentioned it. They're going to be they're going to be in at the pro level. You know, at, at one way or the uh, one way or another next year and it's going to be it'd be tough to ask a you know 20 year old to come in and really inject and be a huge asset or a huge part of the team but I think they could do it it'll just be interesting to see it the one you know the question mark I have with P.O. Joseph is um, you know the way that it sounded like Burke and, and Hextall kind of want to get a little bit tougher and um, you know he can play the game he, he fits the style the Penguins like to play the speed the transition moving the puck I just wonder if like Berkey and uh, you know Hextall might, might want to have somebody a little bit bigger body, maybe a little more physical uh, on the blue line because right now they don't really have that. It, other than you know, you can ask Chris Letang; he he plays physical, but I'm not sure you want him to be the the physical presence if they're planning on adding one. One thing I would also ask add add about Mar, uh, Ron France, excuse me, Ron Hextall is uh, he tends to play the long game uh, with with prospects. I mean, if you recall back in Philadelphia, I mean. Um, he would draft a guy, but he wouldn't, uh, or you know, bring a guy into the organization, but he wouldn't rush him to the NHL. Uh, you know, Carter Hart's maybe a perfect example of that, and that's that that there was a disagreement with upper management in Philadelphia to bring Carter Hart along at a certain pace that Ron Hextall did not agree with, and that uh, you know partially led to Ron Hextall uh, getting fired in Philadelphia as general manager. But uh, he tends to play a long game with with prospects, and you know, the Penguins don't have many high end prospects. Uh, these three guys that we're talking about here, Joseph, Legere, and, and Poulin, are their top end, their 
really their only top-end prospect. So I don't think Ron Hextall wants to rush those guys in the NHL, um, especially if they have some other options, you know, guys like Anthony Angelo, you know, whoever uh, that can play at the NHL level right now. Um, so, you know, they might take, you know, kind of a slow boat with those guys. But uh, as far as the physicality quotient, um, I don't know if they're looking for it on defense. You know, I, and, you know maybe you, you, you go to maybe the forward ranks there to find someone like that. Um, I, I know they tried to bring in um, Nicholas Delaurier, who's kind of a, uh, just basically an enforcer, one of the few enforcers in the NHL. Uh, he's a forward with Anaheim. They tried to bring him in. Uh, that ultimately didn't work out. So I don't know if they would you know, prefer to have someone maybe more in the forward ranks uh, to kind of fill that role. Um, it's very, I think it's much more difficult to find a, a defenseman who can do that. Um, you know, I, you know, I think of a guy like, say, Scott Mayfield with the New York Islanders. I don't know that there are many guys like that that can you know, offer that physical element and also be a guy who can you know, play a reliable 18 minutes, you know, a minute's uh, a game for you on the on the blue line. So, um, you know, obviously, P.O. Joseph, I don't think he, you know, anyone would ever confu- confuse him with, uh, you know, Alf Samuelson or anything like that. But um, <laughs> uh, that, that's certainly not his end of his game. But um, uh, as far as, you know, they're over, you know, the belief, at least among, uh, with Mike Sullivan, that, you know, you have speed off your back end, offensive skill off your back end, you know, he certainly fits that bill. But uh, as far as bringing any kind of toughness, no, I don't think uh, P.O. Joseph would be the answer by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. Those guys like Scott Mayfield, and you know they don't grow on trees. They're they're not. There's not a lot of them out there that are physical. Um, you usually get your physicality from the forward uh, ranks, like you mentioned. I just thought maybe it makes them a little bit. I I don't want to. This is a term that could be taken the wrong way, but like I don't. It, it makes them a little bit softer. I think on the blue line, I guess in terms of you know playing against a team like say like the Capitals or the Islanders in a playoff series, who they're going to forecheck the hell out of them. You know your defensemen are just going to be taking a beating. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned Carter Hart with Ron Hextall and, and he definitely doesn't bring his prospects on, um, you know, too quickly in, in his mind. And you're kind of seeing it now. I'm not going to sit here and write off Carter Hart. I think he'll bounce back. Um, he's too good of a prospect to not, but you know, I, I wonder about the Penguins in goal. Like just when you mentioned with goaltending, do you think they start the season with, I, I think they will, but do you think they'll look into, um, uh, you know, acquiring a goaltender, making a trade? I know Mark Andre Fleury's name's always linked back to Pittsburgh, um, but you know, I've, you know, I, I'm not sure if there's any other names out there that you're hearing or you're thinking maybe that the Penguins might look at, you know, even if it's like a keep Jari and, and add a veteran, you know, as kind of like a tandem type, um, you know, concept. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to imagine it's something at the very least they're considering. Um, I, I as far as, you know, or have they had discussions with other teams or even, you know, uh, uh, agents, as far as you know, potentially bringing someone in, I you know, I, I can't, I don't, I don't know that much. Um, uh, to me, it's a, um, I mean, it's, it's something that they can do fairly easily in terms of bringing someone in. I mean, the, you know, barring any kind of issues with their salary cap and things like that. Um, I mean, there's guys like say Auntie Ranta, and I think Devin Dubnik's a, a unrestricted free agent. Uh, guy's been a you know a good player in the NHL for a couple of years. Um, uh, Frederick Anderson, who you know had some struggles in Toronto. I mean, you can bring a guy in who's had success elsewhere. Um, James Reimer in Carolina, who, who would at the very least, you know, those guys could uh, present a, a, a greater threat to be a uh, the, the number one guy uh, to Tristan Jari than Casey Smith ever will. So um, Jonathan Bernier, you know, was a, you know former you know first round pick, played for Detroit, uh, 
Um, he played for uh, in Los Angeles when Ron Hextall was there too. So um, again, there's guys out there that you can bring in just to beef up the depth in your organization at the very least. You know, present a better option than say what Casey Smith can present. And full marks to Casey Smith. He's he played well, I thought this past year, but um, I just don't know that he's ever going to be a guy that uh, ever challenges for the number one job uh, anywhere in the NHL, let alone with someone like Tristan Jari who has you know pretty big credentials. So. And Ron Hextall said, you know, he's he's more than comfortable going in the next season uh, with, with Jari and Smith as their goaltending tandem. And it, it served them well in the regular season at the very least. But um, obviously it flamed out quite a bit in the postseason. So um, with all due respect to Casey Smith and the, inj- and the injury he dealt with towards the end of the season, it was out for the playoffs. But um, no, I mean, it's it's something the Penguins can do. But um, I think if they do, if, if they make that their, pri- their offseason priority, um, that really limits what else they can do based on their cap numbers, uh, whether it's resigning right. someone like a Cody CC or signing, you know, someone like Teddy Bluger to a contract extension or going out and trying to add some toughness, you know, the forwards or defense, what have you. So, um, yeah, they definitely can add a goaltender and be, and be better in that position very easily. Uh, but it would hamper them significantly in terms of the other parts of their team. Right. I think it'll, it'll depend on what you said earlier too, about the expansion draft, maybe who they end up, um, you know, who Seattle ends up taking from Pittsburgh. If it's Jason Zucker, then you free up five and a half million dollars that could help, you know, I don't see them going out, you know, what some people are wishing that they, you know, they look at like a Tuka Rask or something. I don't see Rask moving from Boston, number one, but number two, I don't see the Penguins really have that. They're not really able to do that and sign a big fish goaltender unless they want to make a trade and they want to move some, you know, additional salary out. Um, so it remains to be seen there. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how Hextall and, and Burke play it. I think personally, I, I agree with you that I, I, you know, Tristan Jari had a pretty solid regular season last year. The previous year he was an all-star. Um, you know, obviously everybody knows it was an unfortunate, um, showing in the postseason, but I'm not sure that, you know, taints him forever. I think he's still a young player. Um, that was his first, you know, playoff start, basically first playoff games of his career this past year. Um, I wouldn't write him off uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I guess speaking of the expansion draft, Seth, who do you think, um, you know, they'll protect? Uh, obviously, they have to protect the guys with the no movement clause and stuff. I guess just in terms of the fringe guys, I know some people think they should protect Jeff Carter, which kind of, uh, I'm not really sure I agree with that. Just I'm not sure Seattle would take Jeff Carter. You know, he's an older guy. Uh, maybe they want to build a little bit for the future. But you know, I guess if we both think that, you know, maybe they lose a Jason Zucker or a Marcus Pedersen, you know, I, I guess, is there any other candidate they potentially could lose that you think they should, you know, protect over maybe say like a Jeff Carter? Uh, well, Jeff Carter, I mean, he's got, he's in the last year of his contract. He's 36. Um, I, you know, I mean, he could very well retire if he ends up getting selected by an expansion team. Uh, and let's not forget, this is a guy that, almost refused to get traded to Carol, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, when the Philadelphia Flyers did that a number of years ago, almost about 10 years ago now. Um, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Jeff Carter just to say, you know what, I'm not going there. I'm retired. See ya. Uh, so if I'm the Seattle Kraken, I'm not going to use my selection with the Pittsburgh Penguins on a player like that. Um, right. As, as talented and everything as he is, just the, the circumstances involving him where he is at his career, um, I just don't think that would be a great, great pick for them. Um, as far as the Penguins, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, just going kind of off the top of my head here. Obviously, they have to protect Malkin, Crosby, Latang just based on their contract statuses, uh, the no movement clauses. Um, I would just kind of off the top of my head, I would maybe say, you know, protect Jake Getzel, protect Brian Rust, uh, Kasperi Kapanen, um, 
you know, maybe you're kind of in the wiggle room there with Brandon Tanev and Jared McCann there, but um, I certainly would leave uh, Jason Zucker exposed. Um, on the fence, I mean, you know, Tang, Dumlin, um, then you're kind of between Marcus Pedersen and uh, Mike Matheson, I would say, uh, as far as guys you should protect there. Um, and then it comes down to maybe, you know, uh, you know, do you think Marcus Pedersen has a higher ceiling? Do you think Mark, uh, Mike Matheson's contract, uh, you know, I mean, that's just a monster killer contract. Uh, I mean, it's an eight-year deal still. Uh, I think he's only maybe, what, three or four years into it. Um, you know, as well that's as he a played, crazy contract. As well that's as he a, played here, I mean, to get rid of yourself of that contract, I think would help you in a lot of ways. So maybe you leave him exposed. And um, as far as the goaltending, I, I mean, I would I would protect Tristan Jari. You know, I know he played very poor in the playoffs, but um, you know, he, he can rebound from that. Uh, you know, easily, I would say. Um, you know, Mark Andre Fleury rebounded from the 2013 playoffs. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky rebounded from the 2019 playoffs when. Uh, Tampa Bay was swept by Columbus, so um, you know it's not out of the realm of possibility for Tristan Jari to kind of rebound and show that he is capable of being a, a franchise goaltender uh, after such a bad playoff uh, year here. So um, he would be for me the, the guy that you protect uh, moving forward. But um, no, I mean I, again for the Penguins' sake, I, I think it would be ideal to for them if if Seattle were to take say Jason Zucker. Off their off their books, or Mike Mathis and Marcus Pedersen off their books, just based on their contracts, not not necessarily on their play, but just based on their contracts. I think uh, uh, those three players specifically, I think, would open up a lot of things for the Penguins this offseason uh, if they could find a way to free themselves of anywhere between four and five million dollars. I guess you mentioned Jake Gensel, so there's always rumors swirling a little bit, and you have to if you want to get something, you know, like say the Penguins were going to try to go for a big fish goaltender or something like that. I don't see this happening, but I'm interested on in your take, like. You have to, if you want to get something, you have to give something. Um, I know the old Pittsburgh fans adage is like, let's trade all our bad players for all their good players and stuff like that. All the, you know, the trades you see on Twitter and things like that. But um, do you think there's really any chance that the Penguins would part with Jake Gensel this offseason? I mean, it's always possible. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people kind of point towards the James Neal for Patrick Cornquist trade. Um, yeah, in terms of getting, giving something up to get something. And um, I would point out, you know, James Neal's. Was dealt in due to part because the Penguin management just didn't like his attitude, and they bring in a guy like Patrick Cornquist who was just you know a very different player in terms of the attitude and uh, just uh, brought a different presence to their room, uh, much more upbeat attitude. Even if he was maybe kind of annoying and you know hard to understand and just the way he, he uh, annoying to the opposition, I should say. Uh, but right, um, and just had to, that really fiery one you know determined attitude there. Um, had a very just different way about him in terms of uh, you know his presence, his personality than James Neal did. So um, the reason I bring that up is that there are no problems with Jake Gensel along those lines. So uh, you wouldn't be trading Jake Gensel for his attitude. And you'd be trading him because he is such a valuable player and you would be looking for something different. Um, I know some people have maybe said, oh, bring in uh, you know, Matthew Kachuk from Calgary, um, who's you know made it known that he would like to move on and you know, a player like that would certainly fit the bill as far as adding some toughness. Um, has plenty of skill. Could be a twenty goal guy, thirty goal guy. If play with the right center, and there's certainly uh, <clears throat> no shortage of centers here in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> Pardon my voice is a little dry here. Um, <clears throat> all right. uh, but um, you know, again, Jake Gensel. I mean, if you wanted to part ways with him, I mean, that would bring you a lot. Uh, you would assume. Um, that said, I don't think the Penguins are actively shopping him. Uh, I don't think they're ruling anything out either, but 
Um, now Jake Gensel would be a, a guy you could uh, you know move on and you know get substantially better uh, in some way, shape, or form, um, even if you are parting ways with a forty goal guy. Right. I mean, and the, the other side of it too, and you've mentioned this before, um, you know, the last couple of times you've been on, but like you're you're kind of like me in a sense where you're not big on you know, and maybe I'm misspeaking, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, big on like the you know all about analytics and all that. But I know the analytics community loves Jake Gensel. He's off the charts and his analytics and like you said he can he can score 40 you know maybe he could get to the 50 mark you never know um in a full season but you know the way he's been playing and how he you know always seems to find the soft spots in the ice and the open spots and put the puck in the net and like you said he's he's a lot of value especially at that contract number um so you know i will be interested to see if he um you know if the penguins do take any calls on him i'm sure like they're taking calls on everybody i mean you're going to listen to offers and see if you can make your team better um and the last thing I wanted to mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about your, uh, I think it was, you know, a day or so ago, or maybe even today, you wrote an article about the um, expansion, you know, the expansion teams and how the rules are kind of set up different for, you know, the Kraken and the Golden Knights versus, you know, the Minnesota Wild, um, you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Nashville Predators. Just touch a little bit on that, like um, you know, your thoughts on, you know, maybe why the teams now, they're set up a little bit to be competitive right away. And I'm not saying Seattle's going to be Vegas. I think that's definitely um, unfair to assume they're going to be as good as Vegas is and was right off the bat. But they definitely have the rules kind of in their favor. Um, and I just wanted you to touch a little bit on, on your article there because I thought it was a great one. Oh, thank you. Um Basically, the, the reason the rules are different is because of the money. Uh, it's they just, the, the expansion teams now pay so much more money uh, just to end their league. Uh, Vegas paid $500 million. Uh, Seattle paid $650 million. Um, you look at the last round of expansion in the late, in the late around the turn of the century, around 2000, 1999, 1998, um, uh, the Blue Jackets, Wild, uh, Predators, and the Thrashers, they paid in only $80 million. And I know there's inflation and things like that, but um, that there, you know, the inflation doesn't equal that, that type of jump, uh, you know, from, from, you know, eight figures to nine figures. Um, uh, you know, you look at, and then you go back all the way to 1967, it was 2 million, uh, for the Penguins, Flyers, Kings, North Stars, Oakland Seals and St. Louis Blues to get into the league. So, um, because they are paying so much more money, uh, Seattle and Vegas, uh, um, you know, the rules in terms of, uh, uh, you know, players eligible to be drafted have been opened up quite a bit for these teams uh, to, to, to select from. And you know, also now you have a salary cap too. So, uh, and specifically to this year, you have a flat salary cap because league revenues have been, you know, sh- you know, dr- reduced dramatically due to the pandemic. So uh, in a lot, a lot of cases, teams are trying to get rid of guys uh, specifically because of their contract. As we talked about, you know, you know, Jason Zucker's a fine player. You know, Marcus Pedersen and Mike Matheson, fine players, but, um, you know, for the Penguins' sake, they might be making a little bit too much money. Uh, so if the Penguins can part ways with one of those guys, that would help them quite a bit. Um, and you saw it back in 2017 with uh, Vegas uh, when the economics were better for the league as a whole. Even then, teams were dealing away, you know, draft picks or other players or future assets uh, to get the Vegas Golden Knights to take a, a viable, decent player off their line, off their roster. So um, yeah, the Penguins, you know, they wanted to guarantee that Vegas would take Mark andre Fleury so it's some second-round pick in 2020. So, um, no, I mean, just the um, the economics uh, in a lot of different ways have really led to uh, the expansion teams uh, being set up for more immediate success uh, than, their, than, you know, the previous expansion teams. So, um, 
you know, I mean, you look at the, those four teams from around the turn of the century there that I mentioned, uh, uh, Minnesota, Columbus, uh, um, uh, Nashville, and, um, and Atlanta. Atlanta. I mean, yeah. out of those four teams, only one team's ever played in the Stanley Cup final, Nashville, and it lost. Uh, whereas Vegas has already, you know, been the conference finals and uh, been to a Stanley Cup final. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Seattle, but um, – it just it's it's a much different landscape in a lot of ways for most of these teams, uh, these two new teams uh, coming to the league here, just based on the finances. That makes perfect sense. I mean, the owners are putting up six hundred fifty million in this case, and I, I it was like kind of it took me back a little bit to see that number. I know it was nineteen sixty seven, but two million dollars for a sports franchise is pretty crazy. Like just looking at the way that you know in the NHL, I mean, I, I'm not even sure what an expansion amount would look like in the NFL. If they were ever gonna ever gonna have another expansion team, much I doubt it. But um, you know, it's just it's crazy. It's uh, I think it's it makes a lot of sense for them to set it up like that. And speaking of the the draft and like teams sending assets and stuff, I think you're gonna see a little bit different this time. Just my personal opinion. I, I already saw you know you saw with Victor Arvidsson from the Predators getting traded to the Kings because basically it was reported that you know Seattle said we're gonna take Arvidsson if you don't protect him. So, you know, David Poyle, the general manager down there in Nashville said, you know, okay, well, if we're going to lose him, let's try to get something for him. So maybe teams will be a little bit, you know, maybe you won't see a deal like uh, Florida sending, you know, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marshall so to, to the uh, Golden Knights to make sure they take one of those guys. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be crazy. It's, um, I'm sure fresh starts for some guys, they'll be happy and maybe they'll have that same mentality that Vegas had that they're kind of like, you know, they were cast off by their team. They had a chip on their shoulder and we'll see what happens because a lot of those guys, like, look at William Carlson. You know, I think he had 40 goals his first year uh, in Vegas, and they went to the Stanley Cup final, and he was kind of, like, you know, struggling to get in a, a top-six role or even get in the lineup at times in Columbus. And whether that's Tortorella or not, I'm not sure, but I'm always interested to see, you know, when, when players are going to move to different teams and what they're going to take, like, kind of the the attitude they're going to have as a as a team. And I think, um, you know, also with Dave Haxtall being out there, getting a second crack, being a head coach in the NHL, think he'll maybe take some of the things he learned in Philadelphia, similar to what Craig Berube did when he when he got the opportunity in St. Louis. So I'm excited for it. Um, you know, and I'm sure, uh, you know, the fans are excited and the drafts right after that, the NHL draft and the free agency and everything. So um, and I can't thank you enough, Seth, for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, I know the listeners really enjoy having you on um, and, and listening to your insights. So definitely I uh, hope to have you back on soon. soon. Uh, I looked this up real quick. Uh, the expansion fee of two million in 1967. If you adjusted that for inflation, that'd be worth 15.5 million today. So um, it, it, it's clearly jumped quite a bit to 650 million that Seattle played. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 almost disgusting how much it's gone up. But um, it, it's kind of led to these teams. Uh, you know, again, like I said earlier, having a better shot at being competitive early on. Um, and you know, I, I would dare say that's that's good for the league in terms of um, you're not just having a team like you know Seattle coming in and just not be a good team for five six years or some would argue in Columbus's case maybe twenty some years but um, yeah uh, or in Atlanta's <laughs> case you know never before they moved to Winnipeg but um, but no I, I you know thank you for having me on today I, I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking hockey get me into some of this nerdy stuff here with expansion fees and things like that I, I probably can ramble sometimes but uh, uh, no I, I'm very much appreciate the opportunity to be on today with you, Tim. 
No, no, I appreciate you coming on, and I like getting into like the the stats and numbers and all that stuff too. It's it's very interesting, and that's crazy. You know, from fifteen and a half million dollars in today's dollars up to six hundred and fifty million, and it's you know I don't know if the NHL will expand again because they're at what thirty two teams now, so you might start to dilute the product a little bit with maybe some guys that. Um, probably wouldn't be in the NHL if they were less teams. So I, I wouldn't imagine they'll go anymore, but you never know. I mean, money talks if those owners are going to get, because they all get a cut of that 650 million, I believe, you know, whenever they're, they're added to the league. So, you know, the owners are always about, you know, more money and um, you know, they got to keep up the salaries are going up. The salary cap eventually will go back up. So it's a, it's a huge revenue um, league now. And, you know, all the other sports leagues, it's pretty wild to see the, the amount of money that's, that's in sports right now. But yeah, again, man, thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough and, uh, you know, take care, enjoy your, enjoy your summer and the draft and everything. And then uh, hopefully we'll touch base soon when the uh, season goes to kick off. Anytime, Tim. Be well, man. I hope you guys really enjoyed that discussion with Seth Rohrabaugh. I really appreciate him coming on. It's pretty awesome that he takes the time out of his day to come on the Rambling Brews podcast and speak to the listeners. Um, he's a great guy, so I appreciate it. Swig a beer for Seth. couple notes before we end the podcast this week because I got to pack and get on vacation here. Um, Peck Arena, great career with the Nashville Predators, an outstanding goaltender unless he's playing in Pittsburgh where he really struggled. I think he's the last goaltender actually to score a goal. I watch that video all the time. Just so awesome to watch him score a goal. But he announced his retirement. Unbelievable career in Nashville. Made a Stanley Cup final. One of the best goaltenders of his generation. Probably the biggest athlete in Nashville um, the last decade for sure. I think in terms of the popularity down there and how big Nashville's gotten into hockey. Uh, so pretty awesome to see that. And I think he'll have his sweater retired and hanging up there in the rafters at Bridgestone Arena down there on Broadway. So swig a beer for Pecorine. What a hell of a career. Shea Weber. Uh, some sad news from Shea Weber. The stud, you know, he's been a longtime defenseman for uh, Nashville you know, speaking of Nashville and the uh, Montreal Canadiens, he just went to the Stanley Cup final. I believe he was dealing with a, like a shoulder, a knee, a back and a thumb injury or something ridiculous. His body is very beat up and he may never play again. That's the rumor right now. It's possible he doesn't play again, which would be very sad. Um, great career, Olympic gold medalist a couple of times. Uh, made a Stanley Cup final. He played a long time in Nashville with Ryan Suter. This is crazy. It's a very Nashville-centric podcast it's pretty uh, it's actually pretty weird that Shea Weber may never play again Ryan Suter was bought out those two were a defensive pair back in 2012 before Ryan Suter signed in Minnesota and uh, ultimately Philadelphia bent over the Nashville Predators because they offer sheeted Shea Weber as a restricted free agent to a ridiculous contract that Nashville had to match because they just lost their other top defenseman in Ryan Suter to free agency so that it kind of handcuffed them a little bit and then Pecorino retired in Nashville. But now if Shea Weber retires, you know, I'll have to break it down on a future episode if that happens. But there's some cap recapture penalties that will really, really hinder the Nashville Predators because they signed contracts or they signed his contract before the new rules were in place for the collective bargaining agreement where you could really front load a contract. So if, you know, you had, say, you had a $100 million contract or something like that, and you saw this with Ilya Kovalchuk, with the Nashville, or sorry, with the New Jersey Devils before he he left to go to the KHL, um, and then he ultimately came back, you know, a few years later. But you could front load a contract if it's like a hundred million dollar contract. You could pay the guy 60, 70 million in the first few years, 
And then the last couple of years when he's, you know, tailing off the, the latter half of his career, you could basically be paying him nothing. But since they did that, and if he retires early, you know, some of those salary cap savings they got come back to haunt them and they might have massive salary cap, you know, another dead cap for these teams that could come back to haunt the Nashville Predators. So we'll dive into that on a future episode, but hopefully we won't have to. Hopefully Shea Weber, you know, he recovers, he gets some rest, maybe he goes on LTIR for a little bit and pulls a Kucher off and uh, sits out the season in Montreal, can load up on some talent, we'll see. But hopefully he gets better. So swig a beer for Shea Weber for a hell of a career thus far. Great player, great guy. Um, you know, hopefully he gets better. The last couple things I want to mention on the podcast, I didn't mention it in the interview with Seth Rorobo. I just saw it come across my Twitter as I'm uh, recording this right now. But apparently the Pittsburgh Penguins are in on Zach Hyman, the forward for the Toronto Maple Leafs, who was uh, given permission by the Maple Leafs to seek you know, possible suitors for a trade so they could trade his rights. He's a free agent. So before free agency, you can trade the rights to, an, uh, to a player and then that, that team can have exclusive uh, opportunity to try to sign the guy. We'll see what happens. I think Zach Hyman will be a great fit for Pittsburgh. It'll be interesting to see what his salary cap, you know, what what kind of salary he commands. It's been rumored about five million. I'm not sure the Penguins want to do that, but he's a he's a type of player the Penguins could really use. He's physical. He can kill penalties when he's asked to. He can play with top end guys. Um, he can chip in. He gets in front of the net. He gets the dirty gritty goals and maybe a type of guy similar to a Patrick Hornquist. I think that he's a little bit underappreciated in uh, Toronto. I think he could really excel in Pittsburgh. So more to come on that. And last thing, what the hell is happening to the United States basketball team in the Olympics? I know those guys really don't care. I know the basketball team, it's just the exhibition round. I think they lost to Nigeria and maybe like Australia or some other jabroni country. I'm not putting that country down, but honestly, I mean, I'm pretty sure the USA basketball team was like 56-2 and or something ridiculous in their last 58 games in exhibition play in the Olympics. They lost their first two games. I'm not sure if they won their most recent game, but still, it's pretty disgusting to see the United States losing in basketball to any nation. So I just wanted to point that out. We'll talk about that more on future episodes as the Olympics go on. But with that being said, I'm going to go enjoy my vacation. I hope you guys have a hell of a week. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around here. John, John. Mike John, John. I stay flossing in that candy paint, blowing dank, sipping drink, tearing up a lane, tearing up a lane. Yeah. I stay flossing in that candy paint, blowing dank, sipping drink. I'm crawling, screens falling as I slide up and down your block with a chain full of rocks and princess cuts in my wife. Right now, a lot of people calling. But back then they left Mike Jones crawling. I'm rising, they falling. Cause I stayed up on my grind. Didn't have time to wine, had to put it down. I'm Mike Jones, Mike Jones, Mike Jones. Jones and I'ma stay putting it down to the end. Ripping pins, trying to put a brand new Benz in the wind. Cause I 